Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask moms, could you just stand? We want to recognize you today, please, wherever you're at. And stay standing. And why don't the rest of you get up on your hoofies as well for a second. And let's stand for the reading of the word. Reading out of 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 16 through 19. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Isaiah is a prophet, Hezekiah is a king. Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace, all that your predecessors have stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And the word of the Lord you've spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? Father, I pray your blessing upon this gathering. I pray you would anoint your word in our hearts and our minds to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We have been um, in a series that we're concluding today entitled Generations. We began two weeks ago talking to uh, the teens and 20s about the spirit of Rehoboam, a young man who was very arrogant and ignorant and um, would not listen to anyone beyond his own peer group. We talked last week to those of the parental age, the 30s and 40s, the spirit of Eli, who was more concerned about disappointing his family, specifically his children, than he was in disappointing God. He was more preoccupied with those relationships um, than his relationship with God. And today, I want to speak to you on the spirit of Hezekiah. And we're dealing with those who are now 50 and above, and I had some friends who were in that lower spectrum of the 50s that were quite upset that I cut the line at 50 last time. They felt they should have been included last week. Suck it up. Okay. Um, To begin with, I want to just... Uh, speak a little bit. Um, one of the things we've said through this series is been a theme for us, but also is one of our values, is that we are an intergenerational church. We've been an intergenerational church for decades now, and that each generation we're entwined, we lean upon one another, there's a connectivity uh, between us. You're never going to see one generation only preeminent. You had an example of this to some degree. There were two young women today whose not only parents, but their grandparents um, have or do attend this church. The drummer today, Corey Reynolds, uh, his father was my drummer um, when I was a youth pastor here back in the 1900s. And so um, there's a lot of carryover into play. Now, as we talk about old people or older people, those are 50 and beyond, There is some wisdom that I've collected from several of them here, and so I'll read some of these to you. 
um, their wisdom as an older individual. Back off. I've got enough to deal with today without making your death look like an accident. <laughs> Stupid people are like glow sticks. I want to snap them, shake the heck out of them until the light comes on. I'm going to stop asking, how dumb can you get? People seem to be taking that as a challenge. <laughs> Don't tick off old people. The older we get, the less life in prison is a deterrent. <laughs> this one is generational. We'll see how you respond to this one. It's a question mark based on a classic. Surely, not everybody was kung fu fighting. It's a song, and you just look it up later, Kung Fu Fighting. It'll all come together for you. Finally, you can't fix stupid, but you can numb it with a two-by-four. <laughs> so there's certain wisdom that we can glean or, or insights. Um, as we're talking today, uh, this next and last generational group, I want to actually break into two sections. The first section I would refer to as the convergence generation. The other one is the post-convergence or beyond convergence. When I say convergence, I'm drawing from a classic work by Dr. Robert Clinton. Dr. Robert Clinton had researched over 1,300 leaders from scripture, church history, and found that only one in three of them finished well. And that's a sobering statistic. So how do you finish well? And he said there were certain phases that we go through in our relationship with God that, um, that we need to track in order to do this properly. From birth to around 18 to 20 years of age, in other words, the teens to 20s period, is a time when there's certain things at that age group, you just work with what you've been given. Your hair, your age, uh, um, your, your uh, eye color, your family history, all that are part of that. You're just kind of learning what's in place and you deal with what you have and then you process that as you go along. From age 20 to 30, he said God is pursuing three things in your life. First and foremost, he wants to develop godly character. He's also going to give you a glimpse, perhaps, of your calling to keep you motivated, even though character-wise, you may not be ready for it yet. Um, and, and so there's a process going on where you have a glimmer. Around 30 to 40 years of age, you discover how God uniquely moves in and through your life to touch others. You know, they may not be accompanied by a title. People begin to recognize you have an authority in a certain area or a weight of your life in a certain area that you function or operate. About two to four years into that season, he hits what is called, you say, he, he has you say, says that you hit what is called convergence where there's a maturing of character, a seasoning of your giftedness, and a specific sphere of influence that God has delegated to you. This is where you hit your stride, and you're doing what you were born to do. And this season typically lasts somewhere between 50 and 20 years. And then about age 70, you move into the season of serving as a sage or a mentor, offering wisdom to those who are younger in an earlier seasons of their life. And he says one of the clues is to pick up where you're at and try to see what God is doing in each of those phases, depending on that phase. But this convergence phase that develops, generally speaking, in your late 40s and possibly into the 60s or so, this is a time when all the experiences you've had, all the relationships that you've had, all the knowledge and understanding you've had, all those things kind of converge together and, and make for a maximum function of your life. So for those of you that are in this convergence season, you're in this point in time where you are, are 
capable. You have, have gleaned certain things. You have an understanding of who you are at this point for the most part. You're at your highest earning years. You're at your highest position of influence. You shape the events around you more than they shape you. You are particularly unique in what you're doing. And you have a weight that you can bring to circumstances and situations. Now, as I said, there's also a second group, and this is what I would call that post-convergence. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the influence that you can have is absolutely amazing and should not be underestimated. This church is unique amongst many churches in that a heavy influence was a youth group decades back that in essence grew up and maintained or held roles of leadership within the church. I was the youth pastor of that youth group. I was 35, which was unusually young for pastors in that time period. It's more common today, but in this time period, um, most pastors are in their uh, upper 50s to 60s. And um, we looked to this convergent and post-convergent generation for validation in what we were trying to do. We looked to them for wisdom and insight and encouragement. And with rare exception, it was almost completely lacking. Most of those that are the generational group that I'm speaking here today were spiritually immature, they were selfish, and were not encouraging at all. Um, There's uh, one person, actually, I'm going to recognize here this morning, and I haven't done this before. He's one of a handful of people that, when I was a young pastor, encouraged me. Um, actually stood up at times with the older group. We actually had to slow things down. We took three years to do certain changes because we had such resistance from this other group. And he was one that defended me in front of that group. He was one that corrected the misperceptions that were in place along with several others. And um, his name is Ron Sanko. And Ron, I'm going to ask you to stand. You didn't know this, but would you stand, please? I want to honor you. The reason this church exists and didn't die out is because of men like Ron. It's because of a woman like Betty Mitchell, who none of you will ever know, or Ray Spano. Ray Spano was a 70-year-old, gruff, big Italian guy. And after one of the services that our music had been particularly exuberant, um, he came to me right down there as I came off the platform. He approached me, and I, I could, I'm like, oh, what's it going to be? And he says, Pastor, he says... This music, this music's not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea. Under my breath, I'm saying, go get a cup of coffee then. (laughs) And I liked Ray, and he liked me, but I thought, I'm just tired at this point in time. So he said that, and then he said this. He says, it's not my cup of tea, but if this is what it takes to reach these young people, then I'm all in, and we back you. Those of you that are in this age range that we're talking about today, you have no idea what impact and influence you can have on those who are still trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing.
We have a pastor who ministers to our teens and 20s, John Freeman. We have pastors of different groups. We have a few directors of ministries, but we don't really have programs as such because that's not what we do. We, we pastor and work with people, not programs. And John and I talked last fall about something he'd come across, or I came across. I can't remember who it was. Um, so let's just say it was me. <laughs> it's probably him. Um, of the idea of, of saying, hey, what if we matched each of our high school students with someone of an older generation that would just promise to pray for them through the school year? Oh, that'd be a great idea. Again, fostering that connectivity and reinforcement. But honestly, I didn't think you guys were ready to commit to that without some conversation. And that's what the last two weeks have been about. And that's what today is about as well, too. Because at some point in time, he's going to ask for that over this next summertime. And I want to see how many of you are prepared to, to step up and be a part of that or with the spirit of Hezekiah, is going to weigh you down. Now, what is that? Well, here's what that's about. In this passage that we just read, um, let, me, let me back it up a little bit. This whole chapter, I'm going to, I'm going to play it backwards for you a bit. Um, Hezekiah was sick in the beginning of the chapter, and he gets restored. And there's this king who hears he's sick and restored and wants to make an ally of him, so he sends a gift on your, on your well-being, on your recovery. And so his envoys come and bring a gift, and Hezekiah is so touched by this and so caught with his pride of the idea that you'd want to be me as an ally? You want, really? You want me as an ally? That he takes the envoys and he shows them everything. In fact, it, it, earlier in the passage, 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 13, Hezekiah received the envoys and showed them all that was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine olive oil, uh, his armory, his weapon systems, and everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace and in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. And after they leave, and, and he's still kind of caught with the afterglow of what he's done, this is when Isaiah, the prophet, comes to him in the passage we just read to start with. Chapter 20, verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Time's surely going to come when everything in your palace, all that your predecessors stored up until this day, will be carried off to Babylon, the people that were the envoys. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, they're all going to be taken away. They're going to become eunuchs. Everything's going to be decimated because you were caught up with this allyship with this guy instead of depending on me, instead of leaning into God, your pride, your arrogance, your foolishness. This is what's going to happen. They, they saw it, and they're going to come and take it at some future time. And it happens later under King Josiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They're all carried off. But it's verse 19. Hezekiah says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. No, it's devastating. But he's saying it's good. Why? Will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? In other words... <laughs> It could happen while I'm around. <laughs> Whatever. It's good. Yay. He doesn't care about what's going to come to next generations. Now, here's something particularly twitchy about this is because this chapter opens up with him sick. Second Kings chapter 20. We said that, right? Verses 1 through 5a. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house on earth because you're going to die. You will not recover. Game over. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion. I've done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had even left the middle court, 
the word of the Lord, spirit came to him again. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the rule of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I have heard your prayer and I have seen your tears and I will heal you. He's sick. He's going to die and he hears from God, this is what's going to happen. So he weeps before God and he prays, please spare my life. And, and in a moment, God turns around and says, you know what? All right, we're going to spare your life. You're, you're going to live longer. He's now given a devastating statement about what's going to happen in the next generations. It's good. It won't affect me. There's no weeping. There's no brokenness. There's no element of concern or care. This is a self-centered. This is someone who has theirs and says, screw the next generations. I don't care. I've got mine. Those of you in this older generation, you have what you need. You think this attitude of the, of the younger generation, that they don't know what they're doing or whatever the case is, and so you just withdraw from it. That is a spirit of Hezekiah. David knew God. Solomon, not so much. He, he keeps the rules, but he doesn't have the relationship. And then Rehoboam, the son after that, neither has the relationship or the rules. Everything seems to go back to David, who actually had the passion, the one who actually had the relationship with God. If you choose, as an older generation, to be passive, to not assist, you have this spirit of Hezekiah. You know what you have. You know who you are but you don't care about the generations they're going to have afterwards. You need to remember what it was like to be a kid again. The confusion of that time, the pain, the difficult, the loneliness... And today, that confusion is beyond anything you could possibly imagine. You wouldn't have questioned decades back your gender or, or your orientation. All those things would have been very much, they are so prevalent today. Social media wasn't in existence. The conflict and the divisiveness in this nation, this is what this generation deals like. You need to wake up to say it's not just what you have that you're holding on to, but it's what you have that you can give. That you become aware of those, that whatever great things you're achieving in your workplace or in your family or whatever the scene is, that you step back long enough to say and hear the whisper of God to say, wait a minute, here's someone who needs your attention or your time or your money or resources. Now there's a second group in this as well. These are those of us in this room that are beyond the convergence. You're at a later stage of life. You're probably already retired. The same thing applies to you even more so. You have excuses like, I'm old. And so what can I do with, with that? Or maybe you even wonder if anyone even wants your involvement or cares or notices that you exist. I want you to understand that regardless of where you're at in your season of life, that you still matter. You still have something to contribute. You have a plethora of information. You have experiences. You know the classics like kung fu fighting. 
You've seen music change over decades of time. Fashions come and go and come again and go and come again. That's why you keep hanging on to those bell-bottom jeans because you know they're just around the corner again. And you don't get caught up too easy in trends that burn people out. You have a solemnness and a depth to what you bring. God uses old people. Abraham, who has a child in an advanced age of age, and you're sitting here saying, please, that's not where I want to go right now. And I understand. But, but there could be something new that you can be birthing and be a part of. Isaiah, the prophet, served four different kings Daniel later served six different kings through, through two different people groups that rule Babylon. And his vice was sought by all. He's in the lion's den standing for God when he's over 80 years of age. Moses is 40 when he leaves Egypt to go to the backside of the desert. And for 40 years he's out there. And yes, God's shaping him. But I think at the end of that time when he's 80 years of age and he sees a burning bush and goes, I think he's a pretty grumpy old man. He doesn't want to do anything of what God's asking him to do. But God calls him by name. He says not, hey, you. He says, Moses. He knows who he is at 80 years of age. And whatever age you're at now, you need to realize God knows who you are. And you're not too old to do things for him. You're not too old to have an impact on generations that are yet to come. Maybe you are not going to part a sea. Maybe you're not going to bring a people group out of bondage in Egypt. But you can take a single individual out of bondage. You can help guide one who sees an insurmountable barrier to whatever God's calling them to do. It's in our latter ages that sometimes the very best comes out. And I want to bring to you one of the, the, the great men of God, at least in my estimation. He's up in the tech booth right now. His name is Mel Butzakaris. Mel has lived a very interesting life. You can talk to him about it sometime. But he came to faith in this church when he was 60 almost. Over the last 10 plus years, he's been serving and has been one of the most annoyingly passionate people for God that I know. <laughs> and, and more the latter than the former, to be honest. You see it oftentimes in a shirt that he's made himself almost every Sunday. And there seems to be a freshness to whatever it is that, that God's doing within him all the time. And I'll be honest, Mel, for all his character and everything else, is, is one of my heroes in this church. You're never too old to change. You're never too old to um, be what God wants you to be or to be something to somebody else that needs you. And this next generation behind needs you so much. Your prayers alone as well as your insight. As we look at these different individuals and, and, and people that are involved in all that we're discussing here today, we need to realize it's never too late. Don't let the spirit of Hezekiah turn you away. 
Each time, even in the, uh, in the passage of Hezekiah here, it, it's talking about in 2 Kings chapter 10, or chapter 20, that passage we just talked about where he's weeping bitterly. Verse 5 says, go back, tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord says, the God of your father David. This is the, the word that comes to the others that we've talked about. Everything seems to come back to David. He's the one that seems to have the passion and, and the energy Do you want to be known for your father's faith or do you want to be known for your faith? In Luke chapter 12, Jesus wants to address something specific and he says in chapter 12, verse 15, he says to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll give to the poor. No, he says, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it'll be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Do you store up things for yourself? Or are you rich towards God? Do you store things and hold them tightly and build bigger barns for yourself? Or do you have a bigger heart? Do you build bigger barns or do you have a bigger circle of friends? Do you build bigger barns or do you have a bigger expression of grace and love to the community? It has been said that God has no grandchildren. That, that each one of us have, have our own relationship with God. It doesn't matter if your father was or your grandfather was or, or, or where that is down the line, that, that we have to have our own. You have to decide whether you will pick that up. My father served God his entire life. He was still serving in a community that he was in in his 80s, latter 80s. It was only latter years or so that he, of his life that he stepped back and he passed away at 92 and I'm at his bedside and the last thing he said to me, his literal last words, be a faithful soldier of the cross. Two days later he passed on. Now that, be a faithful soldier of the cross. What, what that is, that's old time language saying serve God with all your heart and soul. I don't want to, nor can I depend upon my father's passion for God and his relationship, nor can you upon your father or your mother's. What is your relationship with God? You are, in fact, a child of God. You have a responsibility before him. With Rehoboam, it was arrogance and ignorance and only listening to his own uh, age group. With Eli, it was a preference of his family over relationship with God. With Hezekiah, self-centered, not concerned with the responsibility of the kingdom they had. You're never too old or too young to be used by God. You're never too old or too young to be used by God. But if all you're doing is building bigger barns at whatever age group you are at, For those in convergence, I know you're busy. I know you're wrapped up. I know that things are still pressed upon you, but you have resources and energy 
For those of you beyond conversions, you'll never be on a place where God can use you, and retirement is not in the Bible. I know that disappoints a lot of you. Because you've worked all this time just for this moment. If you're just going to have some head knowledge, but the passion's burned out, then I feel pity for you today. We look at these sticks over here and the stone that we've had in this church for so long, and we've painted them recently to represent the different generational groups, but each one's supposed to be a life, and each one is centered around Christ. And this has meant something to us over the decades that we draw closer to one another as we draw closer to Christ. It's not that I focus on good works or caring for another generation. It's that I focus on Christ. And as that passion builds, I inevitably come along someone else of a different generational group that has a different perspective and I'm enriched by that. And they are so blessed by mine. That we come together. That as we focus on Christ, that we draw in and something transforms within us. Those of you in your teens and 20s, we need you. You have an passion. You have an intensity. You don't care if you're right or if it's correct. You just do it. And we love that mostly. (laughs) There are those of you in that parental generation. We know that the trauma of parenthood, I've been there. I still am. You always will be. You can be 80 and you're still going to be a parent. And even those of you that don't have kids, it's a unique time. You can still play sports. You can still be engaged. You can still do things that other generations can't. Those of you in the convergence, you have those resources. You have that time. Those of you beyond convergence, you have this incredible depth and richness and insight and perspective that spans decades. You're like a walking time machine. And we need you. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16, though, says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but rather the Spirit you receive, this Spirit brought about your adoption to sonship. That phrase, adoption, is the legal term used to have someone become legally, under Roman society, a full member of the family. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies that our spirit, that we are God's children. If you have not had this experience of what is being called born again, if you haven't had this experience of being broken before God, of weeping and, and, and of, of prayer and of brokenness, and, and then realizing that, that your sin has been paid for by Christ, that that sacrifice on the cross, God in the flesh paid for, that you are not because of your gifts or your, your, your actions, but strictly by his grace and his mercy, that you're his child if you have not had that moment, then I beg of you, find the time where they're here today, tonight at your bedside. Kneel before God, your creator. Reject the spirit of Rehoboam that says, no, it's just those that are trendy. It's just my people. It's just, we don't listen to anyone else. Reject the spirit of Eli that gets caught up with all of the relationships and ignore the most important one. And above all, ignore and reject the spirit of Hezekiah that says, I'm covered. I don't care about anyone else. And instead, pursue the spirit of God 
And when you do that, you will find regardless of whether you're a teen or 20 or a child, regardless of whether you're a parental age or an adult, or you're in the midst of the prime of life, or you're retired, or at the very end of life, that wherever it's at, that you can become a child of God and have an identity that nobody can take away from you. That establishes you at any age and connects you with all the ages. Reject these spirits. Embrace the Spirit of God. We are an intergenerational church. We are committed to being so. We want to draw from one another. We want to understand one another. We want to share with each other. We want to do life together. But the thing that connects us, that makes us something other than a country club, something other than a social gathering, something that moves deep within our spirit and binds us to others is a direct relationship, not by our father David or Leo or our mother, whoever that may be, but by our relationship with God. And as we draw to that, We know who we are, whether we're in our teens and 20s, in our 30s or 40s, our 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, or 90s. We know who we are. And we know that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, you can know that God is for you and not against you. We are the church together across all generations. Would you pray with me? I would ask right now if there's anyone in this gathering, this morning you feel God calling you, regardless of your age, to be his servant, to be his child. Other spirits, maybe not just the three we've mentioned, but many other spirits have redirected and challenged your life. But today, you respond to the Spirit of God, and you want to be His child. You want to know who you are and where you're going, and know that you have a purpose. If you're prepared this morning to repent of your sin, to have faith in Christ and His work, and this morning, in your simple prayer, even as Hezekiah did when his life was threatened, If you'll just turn your face to God, seek him with your whole heart, you too, you too can be his child. And if that's you this morning, with no one looking around, just raise your hand quickly. We'll pray with you quickly, wherever you're at. Quickly. Okay. Then let's pray. Father, we pray for these individuals that did respond, that you'd strengthen and encourage them even as they say that. And that the day there would be a transformation of their life, which you refer to as being born again. But Father, we in this room now, that our followers already, Lord, I pray today you would reaffirm. And for anyone who's, who's stumbling, for anyone who's questioning that they are loved by you or held by you or have purpose still, whatever their stage of life, the young person who doesn't see it, the older person who's lost sight, I pray, Lord, this morning in the close of this gathering that you would affirm deeply your love for them 
and their position within your family, the family of God. We need each other. We need each other. And we need to honor one another. Whether it's a young person, let's honor them. Whether it's an older person, let's honor them. I honor Ron. He'll lift me up and encourage me. I'll share one other thing here. It's a little more on the lighter side. I was struck in first service that um, Corey here is playing drums, okay? His father, you know. Kevin came to the church, I think he was like 12, 13, 14 years old at the time. He's 120 now. (laughs) And so he played drums, and after every youth gathering, he would rag on me so hard about, we need to, we need to get hard, heavy, headbanging rock music in here. Striper and all these, they're Christian rock groups. There's really Christian hard rock groups. And I'd say, Kevin, we're not going to do that. We'd have this back and forth action. So a couple of weeks ago, we had a team meeting of all the music people. And Kevin was there because he still plays drums for us here too. You'll see him around. And at one point, as we're all sharing different things, Kevin spoke up and he said, you know, I just think it's great. I just love the, when we play the old hymns. <laughs> We're all, what? <laughs> People change. We begin to value different things. Though I will say, if you talk to Kevin afterwards, he'll still talk to you about Striper and how good it is to have some headbanging times. But um, to see his son here in this and see the girls and your parents and your grandparents and and those of you that don't have that kind of generational mix will adopt you wherever you're at. Why not? God did. So why shouldn't we? So you have grandparents here. You have parents. And yeah, you have children too. Okay? Father, we lift up the mothers today and we honor them. We really do, Lord. But above all and before anything else in this place, we honor you. And Lord, we will listen to different generations, not just our own perspective, regardless of where we stand. We will prioritize you over any other relationship, even our family or our kids. And Lord, we do care what happens in the next generations. The spirit of Hezekiah does not rest in this place. The spirit of God does. And by that, we are all sons and daughters, and we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, guide us. In Jesus' name we pray, and the church said,